you go to the grocery store, you may see something like this. You've got, uh, well, you're sent to the grocery store to get one specific thing, and that is 100% pure, pasteurized, pulp-free orange juice. And this one right here, that's what it says it is. It says it's called Simply Orange. It's pulp-free. It has a fresh taste that's guaranteed. And the label says that it is not from concentrate, that it's 100% pure, squeezed, pasteurized orange juice. And then when you turn on the back, it has even more detailed information about what's inside that bottle. But right next to it, you've got this little thing, and it's called Sunny D. Tangy Original. 100% vitamin C per 8 fluid ounces. And then you look way over here on the back, and it says, finally, contains 5% juice. So this is pitiful. I mean, this is water that's flavored with just enough juice to say that it has juice. And I don't know if you know this, but if you go on the website to the U.S. Department of Nutrition or Food, whoever regulates food labeling, you can say something is natural even if it only has like 1% or 2% ingredients that you would consider to be natural. It all has to do with what's on the label because the label can say one thing, but what's inside can be something totally different. We've been talking in these weeks about OMG. OMG, uh, something that you send hurriedly in a text message, or you may go ahead and say the letters OMG, or you may just spout the whole thing out, oh my God. And for most of us, we don't mean anything by it. It's simply uh, a way to register uh, surprise or anxiety or unbelievability. I can't believe that, OMG. It's a way to put a stamp on a message that tells someone that uh, you don't take them seriously or you don't understand. But behind the letters, there's an attitude that trivializes God's name. You may use those three letters and think really nothing of it because you haven't registered it as being trivializing, trivializing God's name. But that's what it is. It's taking God's name and making light of it. And that is a very dangerous thing to do. When God gave those commandments at number 10, 10 commandments in Exodus chapter 20, the third commandment is the one that says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Too often, too many of us have defined taking the Lord's name in vain as taking a profanity and coupling God's name with it and uttering them at the same time. That certainly is breaking the spirit of the commandment, no doubt. It's certainly not a wise thing to be so base that you would take a profane word and tie God's name with it just for effect. 
But the real meaning of the third commandment is to hold forth God's name with nothing to show for it. It is bearing a label or a tag or a title and yet having nothing to show for that label. That's what this whole idea of OMG is really all about. And I want us to turn to Scripture this morning because that's where we're going to find the answers that we need. I want us to turn to the Bible to deal with labels, tags, and titles that we wear. Because whether you like it or not or whether you know it or not, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, if you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to be a Christ follower, if you claim to say that you're a child of God, then you wear a label. That says so. And people are looking at the label and trying to determine if what the label says on the outside is really true of what you're going to find on the inside. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 2 some pretty direct words, but I think he got that idea that we find in these verses we're about to read from a sermon perhaps that he had heard earlier. There is the recounting of a message that a prophet named Amos gave 750 years before Jesus was born. Amos was a relatively unknown prophet, and he was invited to go and preach in a church that wasn't in his neighborhood. He took up the invitation, the prophet as Amos says, and in chapter 2 of Amos, he preached a sermon that many have called a circle sermon. He started over here figuratively on a map of Israel, and he started on the western edge of Israel, which means the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, and he called out a group of people that were called the Philistines. And he spent about five minutes in this sermon just berating the Philistines, of how they were counterfeit and how they were godless and how God was going to judge them. And you can almost feel the anxiety in the church as it went up and ramped up because they agreed totally with Amos. And you got some people that were saying amen that would have never said amen to a typical sermon. But he was exactly right to condemn the Philistines. And then Amos went around to the bottom part of the map, to the Egyptians. And he preached about five minutes about how sorry the Egyptians were. And you've got the church now that's right in the palm of his hand, because he is saying just the things they've always wanted to say. He's condemning these people. And he literally draws a circle with all those Amorites, Jebusites, all those ite people, if you will. And there's a bunch of them in the Bible. He draws a circle geographically where all these people were living. But then his last point is the bullseye. That's where he says, my final point is... You people of Israel, you people who call yourselves followers of God. And then he saved his last point and his most vicious attack for God's own people. I don't think Amos was ever invited back to that church because the words that he said drew a a circle around God's people and entrapped them, and then he drove his point home. I think that's what Paul does. 
in Romans chapter 2, when he is speaking to a group of people who wore the label of being just that, God's people. Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 17, listen to what God's word says. He says, but if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God, and you know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, you're confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who were in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. Now, if you can envision Paul's audience, they were just very pridefully saying, yes, Paul, you're right. We are God's people. We do bear the name Jew. We are correctors of those who were incorrect. We are guides to the blind who cannot see the light. And Paul, you have said it so well because we indeed, we are God's chosen people. And they were very proud of it. They wore the label very proudly. Now, once again, they didn't wear a sign that said, I'm a Jew. But by the clothing that they wore, by the language that they spoke, by the way they carried out life, it was very evident that they considered themselves to be the chosen ones of God and how proud they were of it. So the people that read this would have given it a very, very firm amen. You're right, Paul. That's who we are. But just like Amos did, Paul draws the circle and hits them right in the bullseye. Look what he says next. He says, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one should not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Okay, now, Paul proves his point in a different way than Amos did. Paul chose to ask them four rhetorical questions. You know what a rhetorical question is. It's a question that when it's asked, you already know the answer. The very framing of the question tells you what the answer is. And so Paul says, you who teach another, do you not teach yourself? And of course, the answer to that first rhetorical question, do you follow your own teaching, would be, no, we don't. But the second one, you who preach that one should not steal, do you steal? And the answer to that is, yes, you do steal. The third question, you who say one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? In other words, his supposed answer is, yes. Now, that one, adultery, could be one of two things. It could be literal, the breaking of the marriage vow, that kind of adultery, sexual immorality. Or it could be spiritually speaking. It could have been a reference to idolatry in and of itself, that idolatry was a form of spiritual adultery. Either way, the answer to his questions is obvious. You don't follow your own teaching. You do steal when you teach against it. And you do commit adultery when you teach against it. But it's the last one that causes us, uh, that we have to look at a little closer. 
He says, you who abhor idols, do you rob temples? And the answer to that one is yes. But what does he mean by that? You who rob temples. Well, one possibility is that Paul's referring to a fairly common practice. There were people who would literally rob pagan temples. You're talking about a day and an age when people were starving, when people could not fend for themselves or earn food for themselves, and so they resorted to theft. And there would be those who would rob a pagan temple. And don't think temple is though it's a big building like this one. But there would be pagan altars dotting the countryside. And they would have idols. And you would steal that idol, melt it down, because it was made of silver or gold or some alloy, and you would sell it for a profit. That could have been what he was talking about. Or it could have been that he was referring to what a giving envelope sitting right there in the rack in front of you in the pew rack signifies. That they were robbing God literally by not being faithful in their giving. That's a good possibility. That we need to understand and know that God owns every, everything that exists, God owns. And everything that I have, 100% of it, belongs to him. He's given me the privilege of managing it. And he allows me a great freedom in managing the resources that really belong to him. But he has stipulated that he wants me to begin with a certain level of giving that we would call a tithe. 10%. Given to God's work. Now, regardless of where you stand on the philosophy or the theology of what giving means in the Bible or if tithing is biblical, do know this, that God demands and wants us to have a generous heart, and he wants us to give above and beyond. And when we think of the fact that he has given us everything that we have and is pretty loose with us on what we do with it except for that base amount of giving, if we rob him, We're deceiving ourselves. So it could have been the issue of giving when he said robbing temples. He's talking about robbing God. But then there's another option, and that is that he's simply talking about abusing God's word. That when he said, you who abhor idols, do you rob temples? That if you distort God's word by the way you live and the things that you say... That this is what he meant by robbing temples. Either way, it all comes back to this. It all comes back to what the label says. Is the label genuine or is it a counterfeit? If what is posted on the outside, if it's not what's on the inside, then when you're talking about the U.S. Department of Agriculture, you're in big trouble. Because you don't mislabel something or you're not supposed to be deceitful and printing a label that does not describe accurately what's on the inside. That's what it all comes down to. The label. Judged against what's inside. What is his conclusion? His conclusion is the 24th verse. And he says, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. 
Now, when you look at your Bible, that verse should be in all capital letters, which signifies that he's quoting from the Old Testament. And indeed he is. He's quoting from the prophecy of Isaiah. That hundreds of years previous to Paul's day and time, that God's people had made a laughingstock of God before the Gentiles. And he's saying the same thing this morning. He is saying that when we bear a label, but we are not true to that label, the label does not accurately describe what is on the inside, that we are doing what? We are fooling ourselves and we are leading other people astray. And when people look at us and see the label we wear, the fact that we claim to be God's children, but yet we live in a totally different way and by a totally different set of rules, we turn them away. And they look at us and they wonder, well, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I want nothing, nothing of it. See, it all comes back to the label. Telephone rang. The man picked the phone up. The voice on the other end of the line said that it was Jesus, that he was Jesus. And he was going to come and pay a visit the very next day at at three in the afternoon. The man started arguing and said, you know, it's against the law to robocall and this is ridiculous and quit wasting my time. But the more he talked, the more he realized that this was the case, that Jesus actually was going to come and pay a visit to him. The very next day. So he hung up and he got busy. He got busy real fast. Because he had a whole lot of work to do. He had the yard mowed. He brought in the cleaning people to make sure everything was spick and span. To make sure that everything had been dusted. He made sure that everything in his house, the yard, everything projected perfection as best he could. And then he went and took care of himself. And he bought the best suit he could find on the spur of the moment. He made sure that he looked impeccable. He had everything ready. Because he was convinced that Jesus was going to pay a visit to him the very next day. And the very next day at the appointed hour, the doorbell rang. And the man went to the door and as he was twisting the doorknob to open it up, he realized that he was just about to see the very presence of Jesus. He opens the door and what does he see? He sees the most hideous, grotesque figure he could ever imagine. And he pointed his finger and he said, you're not the Lord. And the figure answered back and said, no, I'm not. But I am the only Jesus that people see in you. You see, you can wear the label all you want. And you can say all the right things. And you can have perfect attendance in whatever the Bible study group is. You can do all those things. And you're going to be announcing to the world in big, big letters who you are and what you stand for. 
And the question is, the label may say one thing, but what's on the inside? Labels, tags, and titles. They make a big difference. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity we have to gather here, call upon your name, to take verses and read them straightforward for what they are, not what we want them to say, to not twist their meaning, but to let them speak to us. So, Father, I pray that in these closing moments that we would understand the choices before us and that we would make those choices that honor who you are. It's in Christ's name we offer our prayers. Amen. We wrap up this hour as we do each and every time we meet. It's an opportunity for us to make choices. When God speaks, we respond and We close this hour with a song of commitment. And during the singing of this song, I would encourage that there might be some who need to make decisions where you come forward, where you make a a public statement. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus, but you want to, that's certainly something the world needs to know. So if the giving of your life to Him, the crossing of that line of faith is something that you're ready to do and to consider, then I'm standing right here. Let me encourage you. Let me pray with you. Perhaps you're here today and you know the Lord, just never told anyone. I would urge you to tell us and then so tell the world that you belong to Him. Maybe the idea of being baptized is something you've considered but didn't understand. Well, let's talk about it because believer's baptism is a sign to a lost and dying world that we belong to Christ and to no other. And it's a command that I didn't make. I didn't make it up. But it's one that Jesus commands us to do. So if that's an issue in your life or if you're simply ready to follow through with that step of obedience, come forward. Maybe join in our church is what you need to do today. Maybe a place to belong, a fellowship, a church family, whatever you want to call it. If that's the desire of your life today, how do you join a church like ours? You come forward. But then for many of us, it's very simply this. I wear a label, a tag, a title. People know what I say I am. But if what's in the label is not reflected on the inside, then there's some adjustments that need to be made. There are some steps of obedience that you and I need to take. What would they be? I don't know for you. But if you will be honest and pray, God will reveal those things to you so that you can make a firm commitment before you walk out of this room and face the remaining hours of this day to be obedient to what God wants you to do, to be true to the label that you wear. To quit holding forth God's name with nothing to show for it and begin holding forth his name knowing that Jesus lives in you. That's the invitation. We stand, we sing, we wait as godly.